So we're in the middle, or actually at the end, of a healing series. And I can't help but ask, how can it be that two months have already passed? On Monday, March 27th, uh, I took my daughter Josie to school. It was just like any other day. Uh, Josie is three years old, she's in preschool. I dropped her off and then I went to work and then a couple of hours later, uh, I got a phone call telling me that Josie was feeling sick and that she needed to go to the doctor. So my wife left work and she was on her way to the preschool to pick up Josie, um, to take her to the doctor, but when my wife got there, she couldn't get into the building because the building was on lockdown. No one in and no one out. Now, just two months previously, in January of this year, my daughter Josie had practiced a lockdown drill with her class. And when that happened, I remember thinking to myself, how can it be? I mean, how can we live in a world where three-year-olds, where preschoolers have to do lockdown drills? Well, pretty soon the news began to break of an active shooter right here in Green Hills, in the hood. And uh, we began to get updates and updates almost by the minute. Um, and I began to contact families that I knew who had children at the Covenant School. And thankfully, blessedly, um, I learned one by one that these children were safe, obviously scarred and traumatized, but at least physically safe, except for one family. There was one family that I hadn't heard an update on, and I began to get worried. Uh, minutes passed, hours passed, and I heard nothing. And so I began to worry more and more. Now, that day I happened to be at a library just down the road on the campus of Vanderbilt. So there I was in, in the library, and I get a phone call, and it's a distraught mother from this church. I pick up the phone, and she says to me, Justin, how am I supposed to tell my daughter that her best friend, Evelyn, is dead? That's how I found out the news, that Evelyn Dickhouse had been murdered. Now, a library is supposed to be a place of quiet and peace, right? It's a, supposed to be a, a place that, that's, uh, where there's solitude. But right there amongst the stacks, I couldn't help but emote, and emote rather loudly. I, I cried, I, I shouted out, I cursed. I said, no, no, no. And of course, that's a paraphrase. I can't tell you what I actually said. Now, if anyone, I think, knows what it's like to be Mike and Katie Dickhouse, Evelyn's parents, I think it's a man found in the Bible, in the book of Mark, chapter 5. His name is Jairus. Jairus. Now, the first thing that we learn about Jairus is that he is a synagogue ruler. And so right away, we know that he's a man of uh, some position, some authority, some power, some means, some wealth. He is a known person in his community. Um, but the most important thing in this case is that he's a family man. He's not just a synagogue ruler. He's a family man. He's a husband and he's a father. He has a little girl and that little girl is sick. One day that little girl uh, wakes up and she's too sick to get out of bed. And the same thing the next day, too sick to get out of bed. The same thing the next day, too sick to get out of bed. And then 
After a while, they realize this little girl isn't just sick. She's dying. She's dying. Well, Jairus, of course, is worried. And he's concerned. And one day, he is sitting by his little girl's bed. And he's holding her hand and stroking her, head, her hair. And he's heartbroken. And he's fearful. He, he doesn't know what to do when suddenly, he jumps up from his seat. He has an idea. He rushes out of the house. He goes down the steps and into the streets of the town. And he begins to run. He begins to run in search of someone that he has seen at the synagogue many times before. Someone who he knows has miraculous powers to heal. Jairus is searching for Jesus. Well, he searches and he runs and finally he comes upon Jesus. Actually, he comes upon a crowd and he knows, well, Jesus must be in the middle of that crowd. And so he finds Jesus and he throws himself at Jesus' feet. And I can just imagine the scene. He, he runs up to him and says, Jesus, 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 I, I, I ran all the way here. My, my little girl, my, my, my daughter, please, won't you help? She's sick and she, she's dying. But I, I need you. Please, would you? Could you? And Jesus says, yes, Jairus, I'll help. I'll come with you. Well, at that moment, Jesus and Jairus, they leave right away on an important mission. They have got to get to Jairus' house because time is of the essence. Jairus' daughter is dying. It's an emergency. They've got to get there because every minute is precious. But there's a problem, and it's the same problem that you and I have every afternoon. Traffic. All right? Not automobile traffic, of course, but foot traffic. You see, people know about Jesus. They've heard about Jesus. They have heard about the signs and the wonders and the miracles and his healing. And they're drawn to his teaching. And a great crowd is around him, pressed up against him. There are lots and lots of people around. And they can't get through this incredible crowd, this dense crowd. So when they leave to go to Jairus' house, it's like they're trying to merge onto 440 at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. All right? It's stop and go traffic, mostly stop. They hit every red light. Uh, the big SUV beside them won't let them into the lane. They are stuck in this traffic. Well, the disciples go forward, and they, they are trying their best. They're trying to help, and they are trying to clear a path. They say, hey, get out of the way. Get it. We got Jesus. We got Jesus. This is an emergency. It's an urgent mission. Please go to the left. Go to the right. We got to make a path for Jesus. And it's, a, it, it's an emergency. And then the disciples turn around and they see Jesus stop in his tracks. And Jesus says, who touched me? Someone has touched me. And the disciples uh, look at Jesus and they say, Jesus, are you kidding me? Who touched you? You see this crowd. There are all these people around. We're all pressed in against each other like sardines. We're all jostling. To, anybody could have touched you. It could have been him. It could have been her. And by the way, what does it matter? There are more important things at hand. We have got to get to Jairus's house. And you know what? The disciples are right. This is like asking, who touched me while dancing in a mosh pit? Okay? <laughs> 
The disciples try to usher Jesus forward. Come on, we have got to go. But Jesus digs in his heels and he says again, who touched me? Now, just for a moment, let's ask ourselves, what do you think Jairus was thinking and feeling in this moment? What do you think he was thinking and feeling? Well, just at that moment, a little old lady with a cane comes out of the crowd. She comes up to Jesus and she says, Jesus, it was me. I touched you. I touched you. Now, who is this woman? Well, the Bible tells us that this woman had suffered from a chronic illness for 12 long years. She was desperate for healing. She had tried everything. She had gone to doctor after doctor, the Bible says, but instead of getting better, she only got worse. And this woman is not only sick, but she's also poor because, you know, these doctors aren't working for free. And so this woman has spent all of her money. She has drawn down her savings. She has sold her car and her boat and her extra possessions. She only has one garment that she's wearing on her back, and that's it. She has tapped into the equity in her home. She has spent all she had. She's tried everything, but instead of getting better, she only gets worse. This woman is not just sick, but she is poor and she is desperate. Now, when you compare Jairus and this woman to each other, they can't be any more different, right? I mean, their, their power, uh, their access, their privilege, their means, they couldn't be more different, Jairus and this woman, and yet they do have one thing in common, and it's this. Jesus is their only hope. They are desperate, and Jesus is their only hope. Well, the old woman, she thinks, she's heard of Jesus, and she sees him passing by right in front of her, and she says, this is my chance. And she thinks, if I can just reach out, if I can just touch the edge of his cloak, if I can just touch the the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. I'll be made well. If I can just touch the hem of his garment. She does and she is. She's healed. In an instant, a 12-year saga, a 12-year ordeal resolved in a moment with a snap of a fingers. Well, just then, someone comes running up to them and it's a servant from Jairus' house. And the servant says, Master Jairus, I, I ran all the way here and I'm, I'm so sorry. I hate to bear bad news, but Vanessa, it's too late. It's too late. Your daughter is dead. Well, at this point, I wonder what Jairus is thinking and feeling. And of course, he's grief-stricken. He's heartbroken. Uh, his daughter is dead, and he's obviously sad. But beyond that obvious answer, I can't help but think that maybe Jairus looked at Jesus with this scathing anger. Jesus, are you kidding me? Uh, you're too late. 
I turned to you. I trusted you. I, I, I believed in you, and, and you took your sweet time, and now my daughter is dead. I wouldn't be surprised if Jairus felt like that. I might feel like that too. Uh, or maybe Jairus looks at Jesus less with a look of anger and more a look of confusion, uh, of questioning confusion. Jairus, uh, Jesus, uh, my little girl is dead. You gave this woman a miracle. You saved her, but not my little girl. Why is my child dead and not someone else? Why not give a miracle to both of us? Why is my child dead and not me? Don't you know, Jesus, that I would trade places with my daughter in an instant? Well, maybe Jesus senses all of this because he turns to Jairus and he says, Jairus, have no fear, just believe. Have no fear, just believe. Now, this might seem like a ridiculous statement. It honestly feels like a ridiculous statement to me. It's kind of like, Jairus, don't worry, be happy. You know, have no fear, just believe. It seems like a ridiculous statement, except for the one who says it. That's what makes it not ridiculous. It's the one who speaks these words. Have no fear, only believe, trust me, Jairus. All in the end will be well. Uh, the Portuguese have a proverb. They have a saying that says, um, in the end, all will be well. And if all is not well, then it's not the end. It's not yet the end. I think it's something like that. Have no fear, Jairus. Only believe, trust me, in the end, all will be well. Well, what did they do? Well, despite the fact that it seems too late, despite the fact that um, the little girl's already dead, they put one foot in front of the other and they go on to Jairus's house. And when they arrive at Jairus's house, they find a commotion, a great commotion. A large crowd of people have gathered there and they are mourning the loss of this little girl. They are weeping and they are wailing. I can't imagine what it would have been like at Woodmont Baptist Church on Monday, March 27th. There must have been a commotion with weeping and wailing, lots of confusion and commotion. And Jesus comes upon this scene and he makes ridiculous statement number two. He says, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. Jesus says, people, what's going on? Why all the fuss? The child isn't dead, she's asleep. And the crowd in response laughs at him. That's what scripture says. They point and they laugh at him. Now maybe they laugh at him because they think, oh gosh, this guy is an idiot. This guy is an insensitive jerk. Maybe they think he's not right in the head. This guy is like a, a clown or a jester. But whatever it is, they laugh at him and I think they laugh at him with a little bit of scorn and contempt. This guy is off his rocker. Well, despite the laughter, Jesus goes into the house and he takes three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, all right, his inner circle, his core disciples. And he brings Jairus, the worried father. And finally, and I think this is beautiful, he brings the mother into the room too. 
All right, this is the only time the mother is mentioned in the passage. But when I read this and I see this detail in the text, I can't help but think of Katie, Katie Dickhouse. Jesus brings his disciples, Jairus, and the mother into the room. He kneels beside the little girl's bed. He takes the little girl's hand. The hand is cold. And he leans in and he says, Talitha. Kumi, Talitha, Kumi, little girl, stand up, precious one, arise, Talitha, Kumi. And this little girl, she awakes from the dead. She opens up her eyes, and when she opens up her eyes from death, the first thing she sees in front of her is the face of Jesus the kind, warm, beautiful, loving, smiling face of Jesus. When she wakes up from death, that's the first thing she sees. And then Jesus steps to the side, and behind him, the little girl sees her father and her mother. And the little girl leaps up from the bed, and she runs to her parents, and she jumps into their arms, and they hug and they kiss, they're reunited, and all truly is well in the end, and the love just flows so freely between them, among them. Everything is okay. This little girl who once was sick is healed. This little girl who once was dead is alive, and she and her parents are together again. It is a miracle. And this story has a decidedly happy ending. Now, I am struck by how different this story is between the middle and the end, all right? The middle just seems so odd and so desperate. I mean, in this story, Jesus does some things that others question that make us raise our eyebrows. In the story, he seems to stop in his tracks and delay an urgent mission. But that at the end of the story, we see that there is no such thing as too late with Jesus, right? Too late is a phrase that doesn't apply to him. At the middle of the story, we see that Jesus heals one person but doesn't heal another. He saves one person but doesn't save another, and for no obvious reason, for no reason that we can see or surmise. But at the end of the story, we see that everyone is healed. Everyone is saved. Everyone gets what he or she needs. It's precisely the miracle that each person needs. See, the old woman needs a, a healing. You know, 12 long years, this saga, this ordeal. But she reaches out to Jesus in desperation, and instantly she is made well. The old woman in the story receives a healing. And then the little girl in the story receives a better healing. After all, she's not only sick, but she's dead. She is expired. The, the breath has left her body. But she's brought back to life, raised from the dead, resurrected. Now, in the middle of the story, when Jesus arrives at the house of Jairus, he tells the people there that the little girl is only sleeping. And naturally, the people respond by laughing. But in the end of the story, Jesus has the last laugh. And the last laugh 
is at death. Jesus has the final word. Jesus has the ultimate say. He shows that he is the Lord of life and death. And though the people laugh at him, Jesus has the last laugh, and the last laugh is at death. The old woman receives a healing. The little girl receives a better healing. And those who are in Christ, my friends, will receive the best healing of all. Sisters and brothers in Christ, maybe you will laugh at me. Maybe you will point at me and say, he is a clown. He's an idiot, a madman. Because I'm going to make some statements now that may seem ridiculous to you. They certainly seem ridiculous to some. But I'm going to say what I believe. I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for. That in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, for all the blood that's been shed, that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. That quote is from Fyodor Dostoevsky, the Russian novelist. It appears in The Brothers Karamazov, one of his greatest novels, The Brothers Karamazov, The, Br the Brothers K. And in that novel, just as he does throughout his life, Dostoevsky wrestles with the problem of evil. How can awful things, tragic things happen in a world that is governed by God? And he comes to this conclusion. I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for, that in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, for all the blood that's been shed, that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. What Dostoevsky is talking about is resurrection. That thing, that precious thing that happens in the world's finale at the moment of eternal harmony is resurrection. I believe that at the end of time, all who are in Christ will be raised from the dead to be with the Lord. And with the Lord, there is no sickness, no sorrow, no suffering, no disease, no disappointment, no death. There is only Christ and life and love. I believe that all the world will be healed, that all that is wrong will be made right, and that everything sad will become untrue. I believe that the world will be restored, that we will be given a new heavens and a new earth, and we shall dwell together, sisters and brothers, in the new Jerusalem with our God. I believe in the promise of Easter. This is the hope of Easter, the hope of resurrection. This is what all who are in Christ will one day inherit. Jesus Christ will kneel beside us, all of us, and gently say, Talitha, 
Kumi, little girl, little boy, precious one, arise, stand up again. Talitha, Kumi, we shall embrace and we shall rejoice. We will sing and dance and clap and laugh as we skip around the throne of God. Jesus will be the first face that we see and he will step to the side and we will see our dear departed loved ones. We will see our mothers and our fathers, our sisters and our brothers, our friends, our companions, our soulmates. We will be together again in the full and final kingdom. We will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He has done great things. We will say together, we will feast and weep no more. Talitha, Kumi, little one, precious one, arise.